You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Happy Easter. We are going to dive into the Easter story in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And I hope that you will join me there. If you're headed there in your Bible or you're turning your Bible app on Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. If you want to use one of those Bibles that's nearby, that's on page 938. And if you don't own a Bible, if you're visiting here with us, you don't own a Bible or one that you can read from easily, we have Bibles out on the table out there. We would love for you to take one home, own it, write in it, study in it, learn it, know it. And if you have a kiddo, grab one of those Jesus Storybook Bibles. We just really want to stand on the Word of God here in this church. It is our only authority, and it is what we seek to know and understand so that we can know God better and love Him more. I'd like to start with the reading of this passage. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Lord, as we seek to know you better, as we seek to see this truth for what it is that you have for us and to hear it and to understand it and to live it and to be transformed by it, God, I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and in our minds, to open our ears and to open our eyes. And God, I humbly ask that you would help me to speak this straight, not varying to the right or to the left, but Lord, to be right on task with the message that you have for us. Use me, Lord, and use us to hear. And Lord, may we be transformed forever by it. It is in Jesus' name I humbly make this request. Amen. So what I just read is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. I mean, it, it's the critical piece. You can't have Christianity without this section of our scripture. You can't cut it out. You can't ignore it. You can't Forget it. God placed your sin and my sin on his perfect, sinless son. And then he judged that sin perfectly and he exercised the death penalty for every one of those accounts of sin that were placed on his son. He crushed his son under the weight of the justice against sin in our lives. He exchanged his 
son for us. He could have so easily crushed us, and yet he put that on his son so that we could have eternal life, so that our sins could be forgiven. And then his body was laid in a tomb. And on the third day, they found the tomb empty because Jesus had been raised from the dead, proving that he defeated sin and death. And Jesus says that all who believe this critical, vital heartbeat of the Christian story will be saved. That's Christianity. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's why we come together and say it is risen and put on new clothes. And and honestly, that's why we come every Sunday to worship the Lord. For the Christian, every Sunday is Easter. And this is the gospel we live by. That's our rock and we stand on it. And yet, when we read Luke 24, there's this, this thing in there that should shock us. I find it shocking. You know what the most shocking part of what we just read is? It's not the stone that was rolled away. Some people go, oh, the stone? Who moved the stone? What happened? No, big deal. Humans rolled the stone in front of the the tomb, and and these ladies were showing up to anoint the body, and they expected to ask maybe the guards to roll the stone away. That's not shocking. Who cares? I don't even think the angels showing up, the appearance of these angels is shocking. I'm not surprised that, that God, who could raise his son from the dead, wouldn't send angels to proclaim to the ladies what happened to greet them. That doesn't surprise me that he could command angels. I don't find that shocking at all. I don't find it shocking, and neither should they have found it shocking, that the body was gone. That should not in any way have surprised them. Right? He said he was going to raise from the dead. He told them ahead of time what was going to happen. Amen. And so when they got there, they shouldn't have been surprised. That's not the shocking part of this story. In fact, they should have expected it. I don't even think it's shocking that God would send his one and only son to die in our place. I mean, that is surprising, but I don't think we should be shocked by it because he said he would do it. He did it. He tells us why he did it. We should not be surprised by that part of the story. Do you know what I find the most shocking in what we read here? It's in verse 11. Verse 11 says, but these words seem like nonsense to them. The apostles who spent three years walking with Jesus, he seemed like nonsense to them. They did not believe. I find that shocking in light of what they've seen, in light of what they heard from Jesus, in light of the fact that they got to walk with Jesus in the flesh, in the physical reality of of all of his ministry, they got to be there for that, and they're called to be his witnesses, and they don't believe. They struggled. They had some doubt. They had some weakness. These apostles were fishermen and tax collectors and regular people called out of that life to serve Jesus, and they sound an awful lot like us. They don't sound like big supermen of, of the faith, giants here, big oaks They sound like men who didn't believe, who struggled. I find it shocking that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he would choose those regular doubters to be his first witnesses, to write the scripture for us, to be the ones who would proclaim, to be the ones we would look to to go, wow, look at those guys. I find it shocking 
that Jesus would use such people. And I find it shocking that he would use people even like us to make a proclamation to the world, even on this Easter, that he would use regular people like that. I'm amazed they struggled to believe. So my aim this morning, this Easter morning, is to focus in, zero in on this part of the story, because I know most of you have all been to church on Easter, you've heard the empty tomb stuff. I get all that. This part of the story I'm finding very fascinating, so I want to take a look at it. I want to look at this response. I want to understand it. And I want you to see that there is encouragement even in this shocking verse this morning on Easter. So let me look at the part I want to focus on again. Let's read this. 9 through 11 right now. It says, Returning from the tomb, they, that was the ladies, reported all these things to the eleven. Notice not the twelve because Judas is no longer with them. They reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women, and in the other accounts you can see there were other women, they're named. They were telling, they were with them, telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. The eleven, the eleven, didn't believe. Why? Was it because they were women? Is that why? You may have heard a a pastor at some point say that women were not allowed to testify in court. They were not considered credible witnesses. And so therefore, maybe they shouldn't believe because of that. But I want to tell you something. There is no biblical evidence for that statement. There's no biblical evidence that said women couldn't testify in court. In fact, 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28, two women who were prostitutes had this dispute about a baby And they went to court where King Solomon was presiding, the highest court in the land with the king, and they were the only two witnesses in the case, in the court. And maybe we should look to the New Testament. How about John chapter 9? Jesus heals this guy who was born blind. He'd been blind his whole life. He heals him. It's a miracle. Everybody's amazed. The super ultra-religious Jewish Pharisees, the Jewish of the Jewish, wanted to get to the bottom of it. So they convened a court, and they called two witnesses, the guy's parents, plural. It says parents, they asked them, both parents, and it says his parents answered, not just the father, both parents. The mother was a witness at this time. Now, where do we come up with this women can't? testify in court. Well, it comes from the Talmud. The Talmud's a Jewish commentary on the law of God, and it's you know, helping to clarify, further clarify to the Jewish people what the law of God says. And chapter 3 of the book of Sanhedrin says, women and slaves are not qualified to be witnesses in court. However, this was written in the third century, more than 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in Jesus' day, that wasn't an issue. Now, it, it cropped up. I understand that. But that wasn't why they did not listen to these women. That wasn't the reason. Now, maybe it was because there was a low view of women. Maybe they just had a, a really poor view of women. And sadly, we see in the Bible, at times, that was the case. We see that in history at times. That is the case. Sometimes women weren't treated well, and sometimes women still aren't treated well today. That's true. But how many times did we see Jesus counter this attitude towards how women were treated? 
How many times did he show us a different way with these 11 in tow? He showed us how women should be treated. I I, I can think of many examples, but the one that comes to my mind the most is the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. He even rebuked these disciples and taught them. These 11 were there. So I hope they learned some lessons from Jesus about how to treat women. So I'm not so sure that that's why they might not have listened to these women. On top of that, these women were their mothers, their wives, and their friends. These specific named women were friends of Jesus, and Jesus loved them. They anointed Jesus' feet. They cared for him. They were with him along the journey in much of the ministry that we see. They were off in the distance as he was being crucified, mourning his death. They were the disciples with these 11 and the others. So don't you think they would have warranted some kind of credibility here? I'm going to go so far as to say I don't think it was because they were women at all. Because can you think of any men who would have been eyewitnesses to an empty tomb who could have shown up and told these 11 that the tomb was empty? Who would they have believed? The Roman guards? I highly doubt that. I don't know, some gardener? Who's this guy? We don't know who this guy is. Somebody they'd never met before? You're telling me that because they were women, they wouldn't listen. No, they wouldn't have listened to any men either. It was not because the report came from women, so get that out of your head. It was because it sounded like foolishness. That's why. Here's what I'm thinking is playing out. Okay, all the 11 are like, uh, okay, so you're telling us that uh, Jesus came back from the dead. Really? I mean, sure. We saw him walk on water. We saw him feed thousands and thousands of people from a handful of food. Yeah, he could do that. We, we saw him calm a storm just with his voice. We even saw him raise other people from the dead. But, but seriously, you're telling me that he came back? I don't think so. I don't think he could. That's what, that's what, it sounds like foolishness. That's just fool's talk. That's what it seems like is playing out here is these women are coming and saying, you're never going to believe this. And you're like, you're right. We don't believe. Correct. That's foolishness. 2411, but these words seem like nonsense to them, and they did not believe. Now, for the sake of argument, I hope you will just humor me. I know we have guests here and people watching online that may or may not believe this story, but just for the sake of argument, I want to ask, just bear with me here. Let's just say for a moment the events are true, and and I believe they are, but let's just say They're true. Does the 11's acceptance or denial of the report change the truth? It doesn't matter if they believe or not. The truth is the truth. The women saw something remarkable. Mind-blowing. Overwhelming. And from this point for the rest of their lives, they could not unsee it. They couldn't unsee it. It was seared in their minds. It wouldn't matter if people said, ah, whatever, I don't believe. It wouldn't matter. They believed no matter what because they saw it. It was a part of their reality and others telling them that it's nonsense, even if they were the 11, even if it was the apostles, that wasn't going to change their mind. And it wasn't going to change the truth. Truth is not contingent upon if we believe it or not. The Gospels luckily record that Jesus did appear to the eleven 
and a bunch of others, and eventually they believed. And, and in John 20, it says that, that when Jesus appeared to Thomas and the other apostles, he said, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's John 20, verse 29. And Jesus is referring to seeing him physically. He's saying, look, if you, you guys saw Jesus physically, but blessed are those who hadn't seen, heard the reports, and believed. I know it's a physical conversation because I know that everybody who believes Jesus sees Jesus spiritually. And those who don't are blind. In Acts 26, Jesus told Paul that Jesus was sending Paul to share the good news so that Jesus could open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and share among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 26, 18. Jesus sent Paul to proclaim the gospel so Jesus could open eyes and people would be saved. It's that simple. If you're a guest in here right now, or you're watching online, or if you've been journeying with us for some time, and you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe he ever lived, you don't believe this story is true, whatever that might be, you're trying to make sense of it, whatever. You just don't believe. But you were invited here by somebody. Someone say, hey, come, come. I'd love it if you'd come to church with me on Easter. And you were invited. Or you're watching online because somebody said, hey, you really need to check this out. I just really want to encourage that you think about what I'm saying here for a moment. Get really honest about this. Process it in the sense of reality and what is actually going on. The person who invited you is like the ladies in this account that we just read in Luke 24. They're like those ladies, okay? They have seen something they cannot unsee. They've seen Jesus. They love him. They're amazed by him. And they want to run back and tell you. They want you to hear. They want you to understand that. And maybe you're like the 11. Think it's foolish. It's nonsense. They see Jesus, and they can't unsee him. Whether you understand that or not, they can't unsee him. They believe, regardless of how you try to talk them out of that belief. But I want, to consider, I want you to consider that this could be a real possibility. That maybe you're the one that's struggling to see, and they see something you don't. This is like two people talking about a number, a red number, in a green ball of dots. And one of you is colorblind. That's what's happening here. No, there's nothing there. No, there is. No, there's no, there is. I, I see it. I can't. Other person goes, I can't not see it. Just consider the possibility that that's what's going on. Humble yourself and, and just think about that for a moment. And then think about this. Just the fact that they invited you or that they've tried to tell you about Jesus, just that very reality shows that they love Jesus and shows that they love you because it's a big risk for them. You could call them nincompoops and fools and, and mock them and, and scoff or terminate the relationship or who knows what. So don't take it out on them. They see Jesus and can't not see him, and they love him, 
but they also love you because they want you to see who they see. They want you to experience that. And so I hope that you, you can appreciate that the fact they invited you to be here shows their love for Jesus and especially their love for you. I hope you see it. It's the same for a lot of the parents here, parents of teenagers, parents of adult children. I talk with them regularly. I pray with them often. I say, how can I pray for you? And they say, please, please pray for my children. Pray for my sons. Pray for my daughters that God would open their eyes and they would see and they would love Christ and they would follow Christ and they would be transformed. But I just have such a desire for my kids to love Jesus. Even this morning I had a conversation I just want my child to know the Lord. They agonize in here because they can see while others struggle to see. It's the same for spouses who have an unbelieving spouse. They just pray, oh, I just want my cherished loved one to see Jesus, to be redeemed by Jesus to have the hope of Jesus, but they just don't see no matter what I do. That's their prayer. That's their prayer. And I pray with them, and I agonize with them, and I plead to God that he would do something in these marriages and in these families and in these children. And at this point you're thinking, what in the world kind of Easter sermon is this? I thought we're supposed to talk about the empty tomb. I mean, it's Easter. He's risen. Yay, empty tomb. Woo! Open up Easter. Yay, empty. Isn't that what we're supposed to do on Easter? Talk about the empty tomb? Oh, but I am talking about the empty tomb. The women saw the empty tomb. And then they reported the empty tomb to the men. And the men were called upon to believe that the tomb was empty. And we are called upon to believe the report of the empty tomb just like they did. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, empty tomb, you will be saved. This is what we're talking about. The empty tomb. Because when you believe it, you find salvation. Oh, and one more thing. Peter ran to the empty tomb. He got up. Something happened. He got up and he he just had to go and see it. Something was stirring in him. And this verse is where we find encouragement. Luke 24, 12. Peter, however, however, in contrast to the ones who didn't believe, however, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went away amazed at what happened. If not for that verse in this story, we might be left thinking there are those who believe, those who don't. Those who see, those who don't. End of story. But Peter, getting up, running to the empty tomb should give us all hope. It should give us hope for our loved ones. It should give us hope for our children. It should give us hope for the world. Only two nights before, Peter denied even knowing Jesus, and he did it three times. I don't know that guy. I'm not about that foolishness. Oh, not me. Now he's sitting among the other apostles who can't seem to believe the women. 
It'd be very easy for him just to go, yep, that's cool. But no, somehow, for some reason, Peter is compelled to run and see what was going on in his mind. What was stirring in his heart as he is sprinting to a graveyard? What is he thinking about? What is he hoping for? What does he hope to see? What causes one to think it's nonsense when the exact same report causes another to run and see? Why is the gospel foolishness to some but hope to others? How does it work? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. It's the same word of the cross. Nothing different, but different results in the response. What determines the difference? What does that? I remember when I was first in college, Freshman in college, I thought that Christianity was nonsense. It was foolishness. Jesus was the butt of my jokes and the descriptor of all my cuss words. I thought people who believed the Bible were nincompoops and they just didn't understand and they weren't enlightened and they weren't cool with all the progressive stuff that should be happening and they were into some archaic old things that didn't matter anymore. They were backwards and they were bigots and they were bumpkins and who knows what. I didn't buy any of it. It was foolishness. But then, while still in college, a point came in my life when it was the exact opposite. Something changed. It was hope. I cherished it. It was beautiful. It brought me, an army guy in college trying to be cool, to tears. It moved me. It stirred in me. And it's not because I had more information. It's not because somebody came along and just clarified it all, and once I understood it, it was great. That did not happen. The same information produced two different results. Why? Because once I was blind, now I can see. What happened? Why? I want to talk about that. John 6.44. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Please don't get hung up on the part that says there's no amount of your own effort that's going to get you closer to God. That's important, but that's not what we're talking about right now. You can't, no matter how hard you try, unless. Okay, forget that part for a second. Instead, I want you to notice that the Father sent Jesus and the Father draws people. In Luke 4.18, Jesus says, He, the Father, has sent me, Jesus, to proclaim to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He sent me, Jesus said, to open the eyes of the blind. People are drawn to God because their eyes are opened and they can see God. It's nothing mysterious except what they couldn't see before they can see now. Listen, the gospel is not proved true to you 
because you've had some kind of burning in the chest or some kind of Holy Spirit goosebumps or some kind of glitter falling out of the sky or some kind of weird language outburst or maybe Jesus was burned into your grilled cheese sandwich or some other false gospel sign. That is not how the gospel is proved to you. It's proved to you because your eyes are open and now you cannot not see that it's true. You just see it. You just see it. People go, well, what do you mean? Explain it to me. You try and they go, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, like, I, I don't know. I can't not see it. And I can't explain it. You just see it. And finally notice that just as Jesus was raised and his tomb is empty, he said he will raise those who profess faith in him and their grave will be empty too. The empty tomb shows us that Jesus is who he says he is. It's Easter. We're talking about this situation. Maybe, maybe you see it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do not believe the tomb was empty. I get it. I've been there. I thought it was nonsense. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you don't believe any of the story whatsoever. Yet, you're here. Or you're watching online. You don't believe it, but here you are. Why? Why? What's going on there? Is all of it just foolishness? Is it just nonsense to you? Or maybe, let's be honest, let's just cut through the, let's just cut through the, the facade. Maybe you're just here to make your mom happy or your spouse happy. You just want to get that monkey off your back. Like, fine, I'll go once a year, maybe twice. I'll go Christmas too. Okay, fine. That's fair. I can deal with that. But maybe there's something else going on. Because you still could have said no, but you didn't. Here you are. Maybe you're not even sure why. No idea why you're sitting here. Maybe strange curiosity. Something. Something is stirring. Something is happening. Maybe it's not entirely foolishness. Maybe right now you're going... Maybe it is possible. Maybe there is something I need to see that I'm not seeing. Maybe you're trying to make sense of it. If that's the case, you're like Peter, and you want to see the empty tomb. Or maybe you just want to see what the people who invited you see. Maybe you're just curious, like, they see something, I want to see it. Maybe that's God drawing you. Maybe that's God taking the scales off your eyes. Maybe. When my wife and I, we were going to church for like two years before we got saved, before Jesus opened our eyes. We were starting to make sense of it. We were drawn there. For my wife, and she told me I could share this, for my wife, it was like that morning, got our coffee, got our seat in the back row, you know, at the church, we're going to, you know, slip out, do our normal thing. But nope, that day, for some reason, it was like she could see. And she was like, that's it. I'm all in. I can't not see it. Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's on. Here we go. It didn't go like that for me. It didn't go like that. It took time for God to open my eyes. It was like a a slow sort of, I heard somebody say an installment plan. Like, okay, I'm kind of coming there. I'm getting there. I'm getting a little closer. I'm getting a little closer. And it just started with 
being okay to go to church, and then liking being there, and then reading the Bible. And it, Over the course of a few months, God was opening my eyes, so I take great comfort in the blind guy that was healed in Mark chapter 8. See, like, there are times like Jesus, like, boom, this guy can see. Boom, this person can hear. Boom, this person can jump up and leap like a deer. But that guy, why? That guy, Jesus does his work to bring about sight, and he says, what do you see? And the guy goes, I see like, I don't know, trees walking around or something. Like he couldn't see clearly, but he could see kind of. So Jesus takes a second swing. He can see. Jesus is all powerful. He could have done it in one go with no problem. I think he did that to encourage guys like me who just, it just takes a little more. I think I see Jesus kind of. He looks like a tree. I don't know. Like, right? Like, I think that was my life. Until then I could see and then not see and go, okay, I now finally see clearly. Maybe that's what's going on for you. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. I want to invite you to come back next Sunday. See a little more. Hear a little more. We'll still have coffee. Still be here doing what we did today. Sing some songs. Talk about Jesus. We're going through the book of Romans starting next week. Come on down. Let's just see what happens. You know, maybe you're one of the people who just comes on Christmas and Easter. That's better than not coming, so good for you. You like the way it makes you feel festive for the holidays. You like getting dressed up. You like having that, that happen. That's okay. I can certainly appreciate the trappings of sort of what happens when you're in church. That's why I come every Sunday, because I like it every Sunday. I get that. Okay, but it's pointless if you don't believe the tomb is empty. It's not doing a bit of good that you're here on Easter and Christmas if you don't believe. The tomb's still empty next Sunday. We still celebrate Jesus just the same. He's still risen. You're still going to say he's risen indeed. We might not wear our new clothes, but everything else is the same. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you come back. Maybe you join us. I want to invite you to just come and see. It's okay if you don't believe. It's okay. Just come be here. Let's see what God might be doing. Let us help you. We want you to be able to see what we see. So come and join us, and maybe God will open your eyes. Ask him to. Pray. So let me see it, God. I want to understand it. Maybe he'll open your eyes. You'll see something you've never seen before, and he will change your life. And that's okay if you're not praying for you. I promise we're praying for you. Come on back. Or maybe God has opened your eyes. Maybe you see. Maybe it happened this morning. Maybe you just want to talk to somebody about it. You're like, I don't know what's going on, but I think I get it. I think I'm in. Like my wife that day, I'm all in. I want to talk to somebody. If that's the case, talk with the person who invited you to come. Ask him a ton of questions. In fact, ask him really hard questions. They had to call me and say, Pastor, I don't know, how do I answer this? That's good for them too. Let's do that. Ask them questions. Say, hey, tell me about this Jesus you love. Show me what you see. I want to understand it. I want to see. And if you don't have somebody to talk to, come talk to one of the pastors here right after the service. Pastor Josiah, me, Pastor Mike. Or anybody else here say, hey, let's just talk about Jesus. Let's see what God might do to show you the truth of the Bible. Okay, we're like those ladies. We're desperately wanting you to see, and we're hoping that you won't be like the 11 in this moment. And we'd be happy to pray with you. and be happy to be a part of this. Okay, or maybe, maybe you believe the gospel. Maybe you believe, but you're really struggling with the church, or you're really struggling with somebody or a few somebodies 
who are Christians, and you just say, you know what, because of my struggle with the church, because of my struggle with those people, I'm not going to engage with God's people. Maybe that's you. You're hurt, and you're struggling. I want you to know I've been there before, too. I would read my Bible. I couldn't stand the people I go to church with. I've been there. My wife will tell you it was a hard season for us. I did not want to sit in church. I looked for reasons not to like Christians. At the same time, I couldn't not see Jesus. That'll mess with your head. Because Christians are his bride. I finally had to get over the fact that if Jesus loves them, maybe I ought to figure out how to love them. And so I asked Jesus, help me love these people. I might have asked him that this morning. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, He will help you. Come back. Be a part. Read your Bible. Plug in with Jesus and his people. He will help you love and trust him more and walk with other Christians and see him and see the beauty of his bride. He will do that if you ask him. Or finally, and I'll end on this. You're here this morning. You love Jesus. You see Jesus. You sing songs to him. You praise him. You're all about it. And right now, you really want to tell somebody. You feel like these ladies. I just got to go somewhere, and I got to tell somebody. Do it. Do it. They might not believe. Who cares? The apostles didn't believe for a while. Whatever. Like if the apostles didn't believe, it's possible whoever you tell probably not going to believe. But maybe they will. Maybe God will open eyes. It's not really on you. It's on God. God does the drawing. You just do the proclaiming. Go do it. Because that's how we worship Jesus. That's how we are obedient to him. That's how we praise him. That's how we enjoy him. As we just blab about him all the time on an endless loop. Because we love him that much. Just go tell somebody. Ask God to open up some doors. And then we worship him. We sing his good praises in our songs. We pray together. We talk about scripture. That's how we praise him. That's why we do this every Sunday and not just on Easter or Christmas. So I want to encourage you, if you feel like those ladies, you see and you can't not see, and you know the tomb is empty, just go tell somebody and worship your guts out and praise the Lord and thank him that he opened your eyes. The tomb is empty. I promise. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Whether you believe it or not, he is risen. The gospel is the power of God for those who are being saved. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that you open eyes. You open the eyes of the blind. Sometimes you take multiple stabs at it. We praise you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that the tomb is empty. We thank you for the report of these ladies, Lord, and help our our souls to believe. For those who don't believe, help them to see it. Help them to believe it. Whether they can explain why or not, help them to believe that report. Those apostles were expected to believe those ladies, and we are expected to believe the same report written right here in Luke. Help us to believe. Help us to see it. Give us opportunities to proclaim it. Make it so concrete in our mind, in our heart before us that we have seen it, that we cannot doubt And Lord, for all those whom we're praying for and whom we love, our family members and our children and friends and our neighbors and our coworkers that we just 
Love because you love them. Lord, help them to see too. Help us to be faithful to to walk with them and show them in whatever way we can. Help us not to be arrogant because we can see and they can't, but Lord, help them to see and us to humbly walk together in this as your bride because, Lord, the tomb is empty. You're doing a saving work. You came to seek and save the lost and you've called us to join you in that work and you've called us to praise you because the tomb is empty because you are risen. So Lord, I just ask you would fill us with your spirit to do that very thing. That you would cause us to worship you and you would open eyes for many, many more and they would worship you too and you would get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.